you're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud. we got a two-man show today. It's just uh, myself, Zach, and Paige phoning in from Denver. Uh, we are obviously bored to death with this whole COVID-19 business, uh, kind of laying us all up, uh, isolating us all from the world. Uh, Mr. Van Horn, I'm sorry to hear you're laid up with a little lower back injury. Can't do the, the things that you'd like to typically do. So here we are um, uh, looking to fill the hours with another South Stands podcast episode. Today, I thought we'd, we'd really dive into this, this debate that seems to be raging on Twitter between some of the Ohio State beat writers and some of the, uh, the guys that run f- various fan sites, which is the talent versus coaching debate. Uh, I thought you, the two of us could dive into that just for fun because we've got what, nothing else to do. Um, but before we yep. get into that, just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, there have been some developments uh, over the last week uh, with the program. First, uh, Jalen Gill, uh, a five-star uh, guess we'd call him an H-back slash receiver slash running back, kind of a versatile athlete. Wasn't quite clear what he was. I guess he was going to be an H-back at Ohio State. Um, he was a five-star, if I'm not mistaken, from the 2018 class, one of the headliners. He has decided to enter the transfer portal. Um, I saw a tweet from him thanking the university, thanking the program for the opportunity. Seems like a really nice kid, obviously very talented. I think he was caught between a rock and a hard place, uh, the rock being a group of highly productive receivers in 2019, which included three receivers, uh, KJ Hill, Ben Victor, Austin Mack, and two talented younger receivers, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. He was never going to see playing time in 2019. The hard place being the 2020 freshman class loaded with elite talent at his position. Uh, as Urban Meyer likes to say, that's life in the big city, and Gill is entering the portal and uh, remains to be seen where he lands. Um, Paige, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the Gill transfer. What did you think? As expected, right? We've talked about it. There's just, there's only one football. And, you know, if if he wasn't beating out, and not to say these guys weren't great, but Hill and Mac and uh, Ben Victor, um, and I know we're going to talk about the draft here in a little bit, but where they ended up getting drafted then how the hell is he going to beat out Wilson and Olave, who yeah. we can almost guarantee are what, you know, first round, second round talent for sure. And then, like you mentioned, these incoming kids, if they come in, uh, you know, they even reach you know 80% of their potential. Uh, it's just, it's not going to happen. It's unfortunate we, you know, you predicted it. There's just, you know, these kids are going to, going to leave, um, you know, who's the other kid that we talked about? Uh, Jameis. Jameson um, Williams. Yeah. Yeah, Jameson Williams. You know, looks like that kid just has amazing ability, but, you know, is he going to be able to find the field? I'd love to see him find, you know, yeah. some playing time, but I don't, I don't know. Is it going to happen? It's just going to be tough to tough to see. But, yeah, it's a yeah. good question. Yeah, I think the writing was on the wall for, uh, for Gill. 
Uh, we could kind of see where the, that this was coming just from the handful of spring practices that Ohio State managed to have before the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, Garrett Wilson was working in, he'd been moved to the slot. And that was the area, that was the position where Gill figured to make an impact. And, you know, lo and behold, he's got a five-star uh, prospect who had a great freshman year in Wilson uh, working in his uh, in his at his position, which was a bad sign for him, and there was no way he was going to beat out Wilson. And um, anyway, wish the kid well. I think he was from. Was he from Worthington? Yeah, he he is from Central Ohio. Uh, yeah, that much I okay. know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he one of the headliners of the 2018 class. And you know, I had said a couple pods ago that I really felt like the 2020 season was kind of a referendum on the 2018 class because we have not heard from many of these kids yet. Um, yeah. And, uh, and one, Jalen Gill was one of the kids that I was referring to. He's from Westerville, went to Westerville South. Okay, um, right. Should the 2020 season happen, we hope that it will, uh, you got a bunch of kids at the top of that 2018 class that have not done much at all. Uh, some, you know, some for good reason. Yeah. Uh, Teron Vincent being one of them, you know, with serious injuries and stuff. But... Uh, right now, from that 2018 class, the one guy uh, that's really the only one that's really kind of become a star is Chris Olave. And, you know, he's one of those 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 stories that we he- seem to hear more and more often from Ohio State. And we'll get into this later, uh, an afterthought in the class, uh, not highly rated nationally. 399th comes to Columbus and becomes a star. But Olave is really the only one that, from the 2018 class that's made much of an impact. A lot of these other kids... Uh, you know, have yet to make their mark at the program. Um, so we wish uh, the best to Jalen Gill, and we'll see where he ends up. Just a couple of quick developments with the 2021 class, which is on its way to being perhaps historically great. Um, in the last week, they picked up another verbal commitment, this one from Jansen Dunn out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. He was considered to be a strong Oklahoma lean and then decided to uh, come to Ohio State, to, to give his verbal commitment to Ohio State. He is uh, being recruited as an athlete, but projects, I think, as a defensive back. Um, he's got the kind of all the measurements of the type of defensive backs we like at Ohio State. Uh, long, athletic, you know, a little taller, kind of in that 6'1 range, 6'2". Um, so uh, another nice pickup for Ohio State. Uh, I'm also reading that uh, per the 24-7 recruiting staff, pretty much everyone that recovers recruiting uh, at that site, uh, they're saying Emeka Ibuka, a five-star wide receiver out of Washington, is now crystal ball to Ohio State. So it looks like they're about to pick up another five-star commitment in that class. Um, one last recruiting note on the 2021 class you may have read. Uh, Corey Foreman out of Southern California. He was the number one player in the country, a defensive end, just decommitted from Clemson. And uh, word on the street is he might be taking a look at Ohio State. Now, he's from Southern California, right in USC's backyard. I think it would be a long shot to get him. But with the way Ohio State's recruiting right now, man, anything is possible. So uh, that 2021 class looks like it's going to be special. Um, and who knows? Someone, <laughs> someone should go back and, and do a study, though. Like, I don't care. Okay, four and five star guys that are athletes. Why, why are you an athlete? I was just yeah. thinking as you were kind of talking about <laughs> that. It's like, do those guys ever really work out, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah. if you're not, 
you know, is that because you can't catch and you're not a wide receiver or there's something wrong or you're just not, you know, for sure a, you know, defensive back. I just can't think of a single guy that was, you know, came in as a highly, highly rated athlete and has had a big impact on the, on the program. That's an interesting question. Yeah. I, yeah, you're right. Usually if you're in the five-star high four-star five-star echelon you've you've got a defined position um right. yeah yeah well we'll see i mean i know certainly the lower yeah, we'll rated see. the lower rated athletes have worked out in the past you know see darren lee uh he was a guy that came right. in as a quote-unquote athlete as a three-star but very low rated low rated and uh and turned into a star player for ohio state so uh, that's kind of a snapshot of what's happening in recruiting. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how that class rounds out. Uh, I would think Ohio State has got a massive lead, uh, you know, uh, for that number one overall recruiting class. And, uh, and we'll see. Now, granted, all these kids are verbals, so a lot can happen between now and, you know, the early signing period uh, in 2021. But things are looking good. So there uh, were some more developments over the weekend. Um, if you pay attention to football, then you know the NFL draft just concluded yesterday. Ohio State uh, had uh, 10 players taken overall. Seven were taken in the first three rounds. Um, as Unless you've been living under a rock, then, then you, you know. Chase Young was taken number two overall. He went to Washington. Jeff Okuda, number three overall. Damon Arnett, a bit of a surprise, at number 19, goes to the Las Vegas Raiders. A lot of the draft experts had him as a second or third round grade, so that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, J.K. Dobbins didn't go until the second round, number 55 to Baltimore. And then uh, Ohio State kind of wrapped up day two with three third round picks. Davon Hamilton to Jacksonville at number 73. Jonah Jackson, uh, number 75 to Detroit. Uh, Malik Harrison uh, to Baltimore at number 98. All three of those players were taken in the third round. And then uh, Jordan Fuller was taken in the sixth round on day three. That was yesterday. He went number 199 to the L.A. Rams. K.J. Hill, we'll talk about him. This was a bit of a surprise slash disappointment. He fell all the way to 220. That was 220 overall in the seventh round, went to the L.A. Chargers. And then Ohio State's last pick, Jayshon Cornell to Detroit at 235, also in the seventh round. Um, Paige, just wanted to get your thoughts on, on what was, you know, otherwise a, a pretty successful draft for Ohio State. What do you think? I think the big question is, you know, are, are, are we happy and proud that you had really the first three players in the draft? Uh, we're all Buckeyes. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then four first rounders. Um, or... On the other side of that coin, are you disappointed that how the hell did they not win a national championship with those players? Yeah, I think that's to me the big the big piece. You know, I mean, um, it's you know I, I get the the Burrow thing right. He was hurt. He's not going to beat out Haskins, uh, but it's awesome. I mean, it, it's it it's definitely fantastic for the program. It's it's just a you know walking advertisement. Uh, it was also interesting, sort of the the TV numbers for the draft just indicating how desperate people are for sports <laughs> entertainment. I mean, it's, I, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of it, but just the herky jerkiness of it was painful to watch. Yeah. Like Roger Goodell 
like just like egging on fans to boo him. I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is just, it, it, it like made my skin crawl. It was just so <laughs> annoying to watch. I couldn't deal with it yeah. yet. It pulls in like the biggest numbers, um, you know, that the draft has ever had. Um, and uh, you know, it's obvious, right. People are starved for sports entertainment, but yeah, no huge for the Buckeyes. Uh, I think it's interesting with Dobbins. And what, where was he projected to go? I, think, I had seen some yeah. things that thought he was maybe a first rounder. Or was that? Not I thought true? that was possible. I thought he might have been able to slip into the the, the you know the late first round. And uh, what ended up happening was there was only one running back taken, which, and it was with I believe the last pick in the first round, Clyde Edwards-Helaire. So only one running back was taken, and that just kind of goes to show how the running back position has been really devalued in the NFL game. Right? It's really all about the passing game or stopping the opposing passing right. game. That's the, that seems to be uh, the, you know, the, the priority in drafting prospects. Uh, so yeah, he, he fell. Now what was surprising to me is that um, he, he was the last of the top running back prospects taken. He was taken after Edwards Alaire of LSU, after DeAndre Swift of uh, out of Georgia, after Jonathan Taylor. I mean, God, if you're JK Dobbins, it's like, you know, his entire career at Ohio State, you know, Jonathan Taylor is getting the, you know, the, 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 the all big 10 uh, accolades ahead of him. And, you know, it's his entire career, like Taylor has always kind of been elevated by people who cover college football over Dobbins, despite outplaying him on the field. But here it is again, Taylor drafted ahead of him. Uh, Cam Akers out of Florida State also drafted ahead of Dobbins. I think what hurt Dobbins was he was still nursing that high ankle sprain from the Fiesta Bowl uh, at the Combine. He decided not to participate in any drills, did not run in the 40, and as I understood it, was going to rely on his pro day at Ohio State to, you know, to run his 40. And a lot of guys are more comfortable, you know, working out in their own, you know, college facilities and stuff. And unfortunately for him, because of COVID-19, that pro day did not happen, and I think that really hurt him. Uh, I, I do think Dobbins did have to lay to rest some concerns about his lack of top-end speed, and that's really the only knock I think he could, he could have on the kid because uh, we saw throughout his career that he did get run down from behind a lot. Um, yeah. you, you even saw you know, a, a, a player like Mike Weber, who is not the prospect that Dobbins is, uh, once he got out into the open field at Ohio State, he could finish. Dobbins had trouble finishing long runs. We saw it in the Fiesta Bowl. He had one that he did, but there was a second where he got run down from behind. Um, I also heard uh, Mel Kuyper Jr. had some concerns about Dobbins' hands, which I thought was interesting because he seemed very productive as a receiver at Ohio State. But then I can also remember some key drops that he's had over his career, like namely, again, in the Fiesta Bowl. He dropped two touchdown passes in that game. Uh, so anyway, yeah. uh, maybe maybe the, the the last kind of the final word on Dobbins was that Fiesta Bowl game. Who knows? Maybe a lot of scouts were looking at that, and uh, unfortunately for him, he didn't have another opportunity to, you know, to, like, again lay to rest any concerns about that stuff. So he falls to number fifty-five. That, yeah, go ahead, Paige. Yeah, the, if it's just a single game, the microcosm though that you know. Mel Kuyper says, oh, he has bad hands. And the fact that the guy has an opinion on 700 players going into the draft is a miracle um, <laughs> of itself. But, but they just pick and choose a few things, right? right. I mean, number number one. And, the, and number two, I think 
it's how many offensive tackles were taken in the first round of the draft? Yeah. Four, five. Yeah. You know, I mean, and so, so there was that blip where you had, and I, I, I mentioned it on the text with Zeke and with Gurley, where you think, oh, maybe the NFL is changing their attitudes with top end running back. But then look at Gurley. I mean, he kind of fizzles out. I mean, you really only get, you know, three to four years, you know, of just top, yeah. top production of these guys, where if you get, you know, a stud offensive lineman, you get 10 to 12. It always comes down to the offensive line. I think that's why those guys fell. Mm-hmm. Dobbins will be fine. He'll be great. He's a gamer. Yeah. Um, He's you a know, great organization. Taylor thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in some respects, I'm happy he went there. I mean, you know, yeah. growing up in Northeast Ohio and just you have the Ravens seemingly doing everything always right and the Browns seemingly always doing everything wrong. It's like, <laughs> good for Dobbins. He ended up in a great organization. Yeah, a great organization who likes to run the ball, right? Because they, they yeah. kind of, they, the Baltimore's kind of bucked the trend. I mean, they have an, a, you know, a, a ridiculous athlete, a quarterback in Lamar Jackson, who, you know, who, who's a great runner. But um, I think they ran as a, as a team. They ran for like 3,000 yards last year, some ridiculous number between, uh, you know, Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson, and now you add Dobbins. He, he could not have ended up at a better in a better situation. An offense that's a run-heavy offense, a great organization that knows how to pick, evaluate, and and develop talent. He's in a great spot. Um, and then uh, and then you had Devon Hamilton taken number seventy-three by Jacksonville. I thought that was a great story, and he's another one of those stories that we've talked about that we're starting to see. You know, it's at Ohio State. Uh, Devon Hamilton, as a prospect, as a high school prospect, 998th in his class, Hamilton. And he then, hmm. and, and then here he is taken among the first 100 players, 73rd going to Jacksonville. Uh, it, we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about talent, but I think one of the things that any great college program can do is they identify guys uh, outside of that top 300, right? Maybe... Not everybody sees the talent there or the ability there. They bring them into the program and develop them. Obviously, ton of credit to Hamilton to put it, for putting in the work. And then they become, uh, you know, uh, day two or, you know, yeah, day one or day two uh, draft uh, draftees. I, I, I think of Devon Hamilton, different position, but it reminds me of Terry McLaren, right? McLaren, not nearly as lowly rated. He came in just outside the top 200, but... You know, it was, again, a, a guy that needed a lot of polish and work, and he put in the work and, um, and you know, ended up becoming, a, you know, a, a day-two pick and a starter in Washington. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so not a bad showing. I, I think the other thing I was – the other thing that stood out to me about this crop of Ohio State draftees was K.J. Hill, Ohio State's – the school all-time leader in receptions – not taken until late into the seventh round, the number 220 player taken. I thought that was a bit of a disappointment. Uh, certainly he was bummed. Now, clearly he did not have, you know, top-end athleticism, top-end speed. You figured he was going to be taken somewhere, you know, in one of the middle rounds. But to fall all the way to seventh, I guess I guess that kind of that highlights what a deep draft this was at receiver. Um, but still, you would expect he would have gone before the seventh round. That's a bummer for him, and then you then you have Ben Victor and Austin Mack not even getting drafted. Um, right? Yeah, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, the KJ Hill thing is surprising. The Ben Victor Austin, I mean, Max just been, you know, so many injuries. It's not surprising. Yeah. Victor, just that physical freak. But, you know, I mean, I get it, right? And by no means do I pay much attention to this. But if you're not having a huge impact at the collegiate level, you know, these guys think, well, how the hell are you going to do it at the next right. level? Yeah. And I think that's probably – now, that doesn't apply to, to Hill, obviously, because – he had huge production, but I bet you, I mean, if you went to somebody and, you know, and just said, you know, yes or no, is, does KJ Hill have the all time receiving record at high state? You'd be like, no effing way. Like, right. so, you, you know, like it, there, there just weren't that many, I guess, eye popping, eye popping, eye popping moments with him mm-hmm. where, you know, he's like Ted Ginn just streaking down the field and you're right. like, you get out of your chair. It was always like KJ Hill catches a, you know, 12 yard curl and, you know, makes a guy miss or something. It's just, there was never those huge moments with him that maybe makes him stand out yet. He just was super productive. Yeah. And I think he'll be a good pro. I really do because there is a role for an athlete, for a receiver like KJ Hill in the slot. Um, You know, I mean, we've seen them in the, you know, Tom Brady said, how many of those guys, how many of those players over the years, the guy that go, he gets you six yards on third and five. Um, I, I think he'll, I think he, I think he is, he'll be a productive receiver in that role. Uh, if not with the Chargers, maybe with another team. I think between the three receivers that were, you know, that, that were uh, outgoing from Ohio State, Hill, Victor, and Mack, he has the best chance to be a, a good pro. I don't know. Victor and Mac, they they play on the outside. Um, maybe, you know, maybe Mac could be a player that moves to the inside as a slot receiver, but neither of those guys has the top end speed to be playing on the outside in the NFL. Mac's got fantastic hands. I mean, he's made, he made some great catches over his career. Now his problem is he couldn't stay healthy. Um, right. But yeah, between the three, I think he'll probably has the best opportunity to be a good pro and lucky for him, you don't need blazing speed to be a slot receiver in the NFL. So we'll see how that goes. Um, well, hey, before we move on, do you have any other thoughts on the NFL draft? Uh, I, I was surprised to see, and I think it might be a good segue, is the uh, talent development versus uh, four-stars and five-star recruits where Donovan Peoples-Jones yeah. was, I think, a sixth-round pick. And right before we hopped on, I was looking it up. I didn't realize, well, actually, Le Marie had an, an, an uh, article about it. He was the overall number 12, overall 12 recruit, 12th recruit in what, 2018? I didn't realize, five-star out of Michigan. I didn't realize he was that highly regarded coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, and then to end up as a six-round pick, I thought that was pretty surprising because he was one of those guys that you always are sort of penciled in about being worried about, but just never really had the productivity. Obviously that's why he went in six rounds. Yeah. But that whole player development argument versus recruiting rankings coming in, I thought that was a great microcosm of, you know, that raging debate you referenced earlier. Yeah. And uh, that is interesting. And I did read that, uh, that piece by Lay Marie. So yeah, Donovan Peoples Jones, was the you're right he was uh the 12th overall uh recruit in the 2017 class he was the number one receiver um in the country 
Um, he's from Detroit. He was the number one player in the state, the 12th overall pros prospect nationally, and he's taken in the sixth round. I know he dealt with some injuries, but you know, probably a lot of it had to do, as LeMarie uh, referenced in his piece, a lot <laughs> had, a, had to do with you know, the quarterbacks that were throwing to him. You know, I mean, right. it stands to reason had he chosen Ohio State, because I think it was down to Ohio State, Michigan for his recruitment and he chose Michigan, uh, you know, might have been a different story if uh, if he had Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields throwing to him and maybe even JT Barrett compared to, you know, John O'Corn and uh, <laughs> you know some of these kids at Michigan. But yeah, Wilson, Wilson Spade and Wilton Spade. Exactly. Patterson. Yeah. I mean, God, what is that? What does that decision cost you going from the, you know, potentially a second or third round to a six round uh, pick? I mean, the financially devastating decision. So yeah, that's well, what happens when you choose Michigan. <laughs> All right. Well, so that's a great segue. If, if you, uh, if you follow college football as closely as Paige and I do, and you, you know, you're watching uh, Twitter um, mainly, you, there has been this talent versus coaching debate uh, happening between some of the Ohio state beat writers, some, of, some, some guys that run fan sites uh, I think it's just a telltale sign that there it just isn't much else to talk about thanks to COVID-19. Um, but just for fun, we thought we'd weigh in on this debate. Um, I was referring specifically to Ari Wasserman of The Athletic and Dave Biddle of Bucknuts uh, back in, I think it's mid-March, and they're still going at each other, by the way. They got into a Twitter beef uh, on this particular topic. Wasserman has become the talent trumps all He's like the, the champion of the talent trumps all perspective. Uh, and Dave Biddle, a little older, a little longer in the tooth. He's closer to your and my age, Paige. Uh, Bucknuts, he's, he's recently argued that coaching is paramount, and the two of them have been going at each other on Twitter um, for like six weeks now. It's actually been kind of fun to watch. Um, so I, I don't know where you stand on the, the talent versus coaching debate. I do think it's funny that it's become kind of this binary, you know, kind of either or argument where only one side can be right. right. I, right. I, I tend to think both are actually pretty important. But if you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say talent is more important. Paige, let me get your let me just let me get your overall perspective on the argument. What do you think? What's what's the most important ingredient between the two? I, I was going to say exactly that. I mean, many times both things can be true. Um, there, there's no way that either one of us are, you know, uh, that much of an expert to say one trumps the other as much as both these guys are portraying, uh, granted it's Twitter, but it is pretty entertaining. Um, and, you know, just going back and looking, you know, a few people have gone back and looked over time, and I think a lot of it is stemmed from the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, which, you know, it, 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 if that's the prism that you're trying to look through this argument, which these two guys kind of are, I think it's a pretty narrow view. Right. Um, but, but there is a, a huge talent disparity, and, I, I, you know, Wasserman will say, hey, look, you know, Ohio State's picking – you know, the first 20 guys in a, you know, in a quote unquote, like mock draft before Michigan gets their first pick just based on recruiting rankings. This is, should not be surprising to anybody that they get their ass kicked by Ohio State every year. And I, you know, I don't know how you argue that that's not true. 
And there's always going to be guys like you talked about Hamilton, you know, the guys that get coached up and get better. And there's going to be guys like people's Jones that come in with, you know, these accolades that just don't pan out. That's why you get to choose 25 guys every year. Some, you know, turn out exactly as you thought and some, some don't, but at the end of the day, there's just no question that the talent disparity at a high state is not just with the recruiting rankings coming in, but you also see it in, you know, the draft of coming out. And so, you know, I, I, I you put a gun to my head. I'm, I'm more in Wasserman's camp, but player development is obviously a big piece of it. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, they just say, well, Michigan can't do that. I find that hard to believe. I mean, for Christ's sake, two, two of our coaches were Michigan coaches. So if we don't think that Michigan can, you know, recruit, you know, do player development, well, we must have thought enough of it to bring them on to our staff and, by the way, pay them a million bucks a year. So, I, you know, I, I think that the fact that they're trying to lay most of this at the fact that Michigan's not developing their players, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know yeah. if I buy that argument. Yeah. Yeah, I do think what's, when you're looking at, you know, this debate between uh, – Ari and Dave, I think it's important to consider the generational gap between the two of them. Uh, you know, Dave Biddle is closer to our age. He's an Ohio State grad. He's an Ohio State fan. And he lived through the John Cooper years. And Ari Wasserman, I think, is like 30 years old. He's not from Ohio. I think he's from Arizona. And he began covering Ohio State, uh, I think, right in the middle of the Urban Meyer era, if not at the very beginning. Maybe he was I, – I don't, I don't think he – was covering Ohio State during any of the Jim Tressel uh, years. So he came in during the Urban Meyer era um, where, you know, uh, not coincidentally, um, you know, Urban Meyer really took Ohio State recruiting to a whole different level. But if you're old enough to remember John Cooper and those Ohio State teams, then you know, especially later in the Cooper years, specifically between, I'd say, 1994 and 1998, when Cooper was recruiting at the absolute highest level that he could, uh, and Ohio State continued to fail in the, in the Michigan rivalry and could not win bowl games, and despite the fact of having these loaded rosters with Orlando Pace and Terry Glenn and, uh, you know, Mike Vrabel, and the list goes on and on. Sean Springs, Antoine Winfield, Andy Katzenmoyer, Eddie George. I know some of the, uh, not all those guys played together, but, but basically they were all connected over that four or five year period. And Ohio State ended up with one outright Big Ten title over that span, no national championship game appearances. I think they only beat, they only beat Michigan. Well, between 94 and 98, they beat Michigan twice, but they also lost. But the 95, 96, and 97 games, which all cost them a chance uh, at playing for a national championship. And, you know, the, the Cooper era was basically uh, defined by his failures against Michigan, 2, 10, and 1. Uh, he was also terrible in bowl games. He was 3 and 8, despite having some absolutely loaded rosters. So from that perspective, if you're Dave Biddle, if you're a fan uh, of around you know from that age or of that age you might you might uh, emphasize coaching a bit more than talent because Cooper failed uh, to utilize that talent um, fully I think we can all agree on that um, I also think so I have a hypothetical I have a yeah. hypothetical let's what would you say in those ten uh, those ten years with Cooper 
had Charles Woodson and Desmond Howard not gone to Michigan and gone to Ohio State, what do you think Cooper's record would have been through that 10-year stretch? Yeah, that's a good question. It's hard to say. I mean, those were those they were both transcendent players, right? That really elevates, especially Woodson. Uh, Woodson, I mean, yeah. he went on to have, you know, he went on to be as great of a pro as he was a college player. Um, I think Woodson, he he could have definitely tilted that rivalry toward Ohio State had he gone to Ohio State. Well, and the same the same with Howard. I mean, Howard didn't have the pro career, although he was he was picked fourth overall. Um, but I, you know, I just like th- those guys, I mean, obviously the fucking Heisman pose by Desmond Howard Gallagher's <laughs> favorite, you know, is seared in our brain forever. But I, you know, I just, I, I, I think you could, you could easily make the argument you know, that, that they would have flipped the switch in at least two of those games. I mean, they made big plays in those games. Oh yeah. yeah. And you think back to the Woods and David Boston fight. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, so they both played three years, probably. Right. I, I, you know, I, I just think had those two players not switched and gone to Michigan, which then goes back to the talent, you know, mm-hmm. side of the argument, I think, I think that outcome might've been dramatically different in Cooper's favor in at least two games, maybe yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly would argue that, um, Ohio state certainly had enough talent to beat those Woodson teams, uh, you know, not to go, they went 0-3 against Woodson, right? 95, 96, 97. His freshman year was 95. And, you know, his freshman year, as a freshman, he shut down Terry Glenn in that game in Michigan. That was the Timbiaka-Batuka game. Um, but I would certainly argue that, uh, you know, Ohio State had more than enough talent to, to, to win at least one of those. But, no, you're right. He was a transcendent player, and he, he, he played on Michigan's side in that rivalry. Um, now, you know, if you look at the last – what, 20 years, Ohio State has had those transcendent players on their side, and that's why the, the rivalry has tilted. Um, but just in, overall with the talent versus coaching debate, I, I certainly would emphasize talent over coaching. I think if you've got great players, you can overcome maybe some deficiencies in coaching. Um, but I certainly think coaching is extremely important, having lived through the Cooper years and um, – and then, and then, you know, you could also look at what's happening at Clemson, right, with Dabo Sweeney. I mean, that's a team that's been winning national championships, going to the playoff every year, and yet not really living in the top five of the recruiting rankings, like, you know, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, those programs. So, you know, you can overcome a deficiency in talent. I guess I'm kind of contradicting myself, but I still think talent definitely is probably the most important variable followed very closely by a coach that can evaluate and develop talent. I think you have to have both. And I, I don't really see it well, as you do. either argument. Yeah, and you do. But there's actually, now, I was thinking about it. There, there's really a third variable, right? Because there's been that argument, well, look what Clemson's doing without not having, you know, top five recruiting classes the last five years. Well, guess what they've had instead? They had Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. And lo and behold, the second they get those two guys, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where, you know, Clemson was the team that couldn't get it done, right? You yeah. would wait for the Clemson gag at some point in the season, and it always happens. And lo and behold, once you get Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, well, that stops happening. Mm-hmm. So the quarterback play is just 
so dramatic in, in maybe even more so. And, and, and then, then think about LSU. They've got four and five star guys on that team. They always have. Right. right. But then once they finally get the quarterback, what happens? Oh, they're the best team ever. That's right. And so, you know, if you don't have the, the quarterback can make up for so, so much. Yeah. And not having that being a part of it, I think sort of, you know, would, would actually make the argument a little bit even more interesting than it is. Yeah. Yeah. So th- there, there has been one other uh, beat writer or uh, I guess uh, opinion guy. Uh, who's weighed in on this debate? His name's Steve Dace. He is he runs the Michigan podcast, which you can listen to on YouTube. It's actually a an entertaining listen. I think Dace is actually a pretty knowledgeable fan. Um, you can tell he's a huge fan. He's just he's just like us. He you know he lives and dies with uh, Michigan football. Um, he recently, uh, in the last three or four weeks, put out a pod uh, with the theme "Top Five Reasons." The talent gap doesn't matter in the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. Just for fun, Paige, I thought you and I could uh, pick apart his top five list here. Uh, this should be pretty fun. Um, so, <laughs> uh, That guy's a piece of work, man. What, what is that, his diploma he has on his desk yeah. when he does the pod? Like, <laughs> come on, bro. I mean, I like him. I'm not being, you know, but you, you really? Is that your diploma? Well, if you if you can make it through the two and a half minute intro of Michigan highlights dating <laughs> yeah. back to like the you know the ten year war, you actually might enjoy right. what he has to say. But just that in two and a half minutes, oof, yikes! Um, so, uh, Dace's top five reasons talent gap doesn't matter. Let's just go one by one on these page and break them down. Uh, the first. The perceived talent gap is the same now as it has been for decades. It, you you kind of have to mention one and two together um, because he kind of, in, 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 in point number two, or reason number two, he kind of backs up what he, the claim that he makes in reason number one. So I'll, I'll mention two as well. So he says, during the 10-year war, Ohio State had 88 players drafted, 15 first-rounders. Michigan had 74 players drafted eight first rounders yet Bo went five four and one versus Woody um, and then he goes on to say during the Cooper era when Michigan dominated the rivalry 10 two and one as we just mentioned both schools had 61 players drafted but Ohio State had a 17 to 12 edge in the first first round draft picks and then he goes on to say since 2015 Hawbus first season at Michigan Ohio State has had 45 players drafted. Uh, to Michigan's 31, 17 first-rounders to five first-rounders. I actually adjusted those numbers to include this week's or this uh, this year's draft. Uh, Dace noted that five of those Ohio State first-rounders came in the 2016 draft. I don't know why he mentioned that. So basically what he's saying is, you know, there's always been a, a talent gap uh, in this rivalry, and um, it didn't matter. 20, 30 years ago. Michigan was able to compete in spite of that. Um, what are your thoughts on the points that he's made there? I mean, I find... I, I, what can you compare today that happened in the 60s and 70s in any aspect of I your agree. life? I mean, I you're agree. comparing apples to oranges. Like, football was so different then. I mean, they barely threw the ball. Um, the numbers aren't that widely different. It seems like they're pretty even. Um, yeah. So to try and make any correlation between 
you know, the 10 year war and 2020, I, I find just laughable. I just like, dude, nothing is, is the same in yeah. football as in any other piece of our <laughs> life. So why even try to make that analogy? I didn't get it. At I didn't all. get that at all. I mean, if you think about it, like it's probably fair to say that evaluating prep talent wasn't the sophisticated science during the 10 year <laughs> war that it is today. I mean, that's, you know, you don't have kids practicing three, you know, 365 days a year to play, you know, you don't have a lot of these high school programs now have spring practices. These kids go to these elite 11 camps. I mean, they're practice. I mean, it's so much more sophisticated. These prospects come in to these college programs ready to contribute right away because high school programs have become so much more sophisticated. So yeah, is it really worth examining what happened in the late 60s, in the 70s. I mean, I don't think there's any comparison to be made. However, if you look at the numbers that he's presenting, we're talking about a 10-year span, 10 years. If we're talking about the 10-year war, Ohio State only had 14 more players drafted than Michigan over that 10-year span. I mean, is that really statistically relevant? I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, same same with the, well, and then if, if you look at the numbers that he presented for, for the John Cooper era, we're talking about a span of 13 years, yet both schools had the same number of players drafted, 61 over that 13 years. And Ohio State only had a 17 to 12 edge in first round picks. So only a, you know, a, a five more players taken in the first round over 13 years. I mean, I'd say that's statistically irrelevant. And yeah, uh, and, no, I, and, right? and those, those Michigan teams had players, right? We already talked about well, yeah. Desmond and he left that out, I mean, by the way. <laughs> he left that out, yeah, that, that yeah, during exactly. that period, they had two Heisman winners, Desmond Howard and, and uh, Charles Woodson, who were both from Ohio. Uh, and, right, and, and, and they've had how many, you know, in these last 20 years? Yeah. So that's why, you know, it made me think of those, those two guys. And, and you know, those Michigan teams, and, you know, Cooper should have done better, but those were scary Michigan teams. A lot yeah. scarier than, you know, the you know Michigan except what 2017 you know Michigan is a shell of what those teams were in yeah. my opinion I I think uh you know especially during that period and I I don't have the numbers in front of me but I would I would not be surprised that if we had a closer look Michigan was recruiting the state of Ohio much more than they were than they've been under Harbaugh which for some reason they've decided not to recruit Ohio the way they used to but you you think back to that that last Michigan team that won a share of the national title in 1997, they had a great battle with Ohio State uh, in that uh, Ohio State-Michigan game in 97. Um, you know, Michigan went out to the big lead, but Ohio State came roaring back in that game. Michigan had to hold on. But think about the players that had an impact for Michigan in that game. The first, obviously, was Charles Woodson, an Ohio player. Remember Marcus Ray from Columbus, mm. right? And, yeah. and they weren't the only kids from Ohio that had a huge impact on that rivalry at that time and helped Michigan win a share of a national title. So um, I actually think that during the Cooper years, especially they were much more, uh, Michigan was, uh, there wasn't nearly the talent gap. It was a, a marginal talent gap at the time. And Michigan had, uh, as we've already discussed, two transcendent talents from the state of Ohio during that period who helped Michigan win those games. Um, against Ohio State. So I, 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 I don't agree with Dace at all on that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't disagree, though, with Dace's kind of overarching view that Michigan should be doing more with what they have. Uh, I don't disagree with that. Uh, I, I think they probably should be. I think it's reasonable as a Michigan fan to, 
to expect them to be at least more competitive. Um, anyway, yeah. so so if you don't have any more to, any more comments on those first two points, I thought I'd move to the uh, point number three, which is very interesting because then Day says uh, average. If you look at the average recruiting. Uh, rankings of the 2016 and tw through 2019 classes, in other words, the kids that make up the current rosters, the 2019 rosters, Clemson, who beat Ohio State, average player ranking 91.4 versus Michigan, 90.1. Uh, so he's saying basically, you know, a statistically irrelevant difference in terms of player rating between Clemson, who beat Ohio State, and Michigan, who got killed by Ohio State, what, 56-27 in 2019. Interesting way to, to view that, right? Um, and again, this is to back up Dace's thesis that Michigan has the talent. Uh, they're just not doing enough with it, and I think he's obviously pointing at coaching. Anyway, what were your thoughts on that approach? Well, I, I already said it. I, I, that, to me, is, is all about the quarterback. Clemson has, I mean, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, if Deshaun Watson played on Michigan, I bet you Harbaugh would have, you know, won one of these seven games. That guy was that freaking good. That's yeah. the difference. Clemson hasn't recruited, you know, at the highest, highest levels, but they, at the most important position for the last, you know, six years, they've had arguably the best player in the country. Yeah. And that matters. It makes a difference. And, you know, he picks – he purposely picked Clemson, right? You know, but if you look at that from a wider swath, all the other programs out there, you know, maybe not even in the SEC, um, I, you know, it, it, it paints a totally different picture. And to me, it all comes down to quarterback play, and you can explain it with that and that alone. Interesting. That's a really good and point. And Wasserman kind of picked – yeah, Wasserman was – you know, he's like, look, you're, you're, you're just picking one school – Right. You know, the what about all the other school? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. He, you're he make, picked, he you're picked basing the, it all on the outline. That's <laughs> yeah. a great way to say it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting point that, that Wasserman uh, had made in kind of in retort to this. Yeah. Clemson is the lone outlier in the talent versus coaching argument, if you can call it an argument. Um, you know, they've managed to compete on an elite level despite not living in the top five on National Signing Day. Although they did just sign the number three class in 2020. So, you know, I, I think if, if, you know, Dabo Sweeney would be all too happy to take the talent if he can get it. You know, it, but I think it's interesting that he points to Clemson because I think if Michigan's going to get back in this rivalry and start winning Big Ten championships and start competing on a national level, I think Clemson would be the model for that. Because one thing Clemson does... Um, or what they've managed to do is they're very good at is identify talent uh, that maybe other programs can't see and then develop that talent. A perfect example is Isaiah Simmons, right? He was a three-star safety yeah. out of Kansas. They saw him, they saw potential in him as a linebacker and he was this amazing Swiss army knife player for them that helped get them back to the playoffs. And maybe Clemson is the model you know, Michigan went out and they hired uh, Gaddis, right, the offensive coordinator from Alabama. But I don't know if trying to mimic Alabama is the approach for Michigan as long as Ohio State is in the Big Ten. Because you're going to get out-recruited by Ohio State. Maybe the model is Clemson, which is you go for those kids uh, outside maybe the top 300 uh, that, you know, could develop into great players at some point on the college level. Um 
So yeah, it is interesting that while you're looking at the recruiting rankings uh, and the, the player ratings, uh, Clemson has proved to be much better at identifying those diamonds in the rough that not everybody sees as talents and then developing them, which Michigan has done neither of that. I mean, I think that's, you know, they're, they're deficient in those areas too. Um, you know, the other thing too we could throw in there is like, okay, yeah, Clemson has managed to get back to the playoff year in and year out. Also helps they play in the, AC, the ACC. And, uh, you know, they've, the FSU and Miami have been dumpster fires for the last decade, and Clemson has marched pretty much completely unopposed through the ACC the last five or six years. But, but uh, it is an interesting point, um, you know, that uh, yeah. I, personally I think if, if Michigan, again, if they were to get back to, recruit, to competing nationally, maybe Clemson's the model. Um, the fourth point that he made. Yeah, you got to t- – you- you got to take some Ohio kids. I mean, the right. fact that he's not recruiting in Ohio, and I think is it uh, Stoops at Kentucky's recruiting the living hell out of Ohio, and you know they're a pretty Smart. damn competitive football team now. Yeah. You know now, you know I don't know if that sort of closes the gap enough. If Ohio State is just taking the best players, you know, from across the country, and then you know you're plucking three and three-star guys out of Ohio. Does that close the gap? But Worked, hey, there's hey, also hey. that Ohio chip on the shoulder factor that, you know, totally is a huge. We see it all the time. Well, you know, it worked for know. Mark D'Antonio in Michigan State, right? I mean, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, they, they you know, they stole a, a Big Ten championship from us in 20, well, 2013 and 2015. And, and, and in the case of 2015, yeah. a playoff spot from us. So, I, I, I think well, it is. Well, the other, the other thing with Harbaugh, and I read this that was pretty interesting, is that he hasn't started a quarterback in the seven years that he's been there of somebody that he's actually recruited. Right, that's right, yeah. Now, Shea Patterson was a transfer, so kind of maybe, but he hasn't recruited any of the, the quarterbacks that he's, uh, since he's been there mm-hmm. in seven years. And I think, I think you know, we look back – I just think quarterback, the, the way football has changed, is just so, so important. And, you know, everyone thought, oh, he's going to be the, the quarterback whisperer and, you know, yada, yada, yada. It hasn't materialized that way. And maybe he's just, you know, not identifying the talent and or, or you know, identifying it coming in and developing once it's, once it's there. I mean, McCaffrey. All of the above. From Colorado, right? I mean, he's a big-time recruit. Yeah. Why isn't that guy playing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he got his head knocked off against Wisconsin, right? I don't think, I think he was, that, yeah, that his, was brutal. <laughs> that ended his season last year. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think all of the above, I think all of the above, um, we're talking about, you know, recruiting player development, um, and Michigan is, is deficient in, in those, in those areas across the board. Uh, the, the fourth point, I, I, sorry, go ahead. No, go for it. What's, what's his fourth point? So the fourth point, again, he's comparing player ratings, in this case with LSU, who won the national title, as we know. LSU, who won the national title, uh, average player rating from the 2016 through 2019 class is 90.8 versus Michigan, which is, again, 90.1. Day says that's statistically irrelevant, the gap between those two programs. Yet, you know, LSU is having much greater success now, this is where I kind of feel like, you know, recruiting rankings, you don't want to put all of your stock in recruiting rankings because, well, first of all, LSU just had 10 kids taken in the first three rounds of the 2020 draft compared to two for Michigan. 
right? <laughs> and I think that demonstrates the difference between the talent pools both schools are drawing from and why you shouldn't always put your stock in player rankings because LSU is recruiting from the deepest talent pool in the country, you know? And I think there's a very good chance that a three-star kid from the deep south is probably a much better player than a three-star kid from Pickerington, right? I mean, he's competing right. against the best right. talent in the country. You can only get, you know, you can only give out so many five and four-star designations. Uh, so I think in this case, recruiting rankings don't tell the whole story. Uh, you know, Michigan is is not recruiting from the. You get the table droppings from the deep south. <laughs> Those kids come up north. I mean, we see like a kid like Chris Gamble, right from Florida. You know, some of these kids. Uh, Ryan Shazier, another kid, also, I believe, from Florida, right, who were, you know, four-star, but not like the big ballyhooed prospects. You come up north, those kids can become stars. So I would right. not have, I would not have, you know, compared LSU and Michigan. Uh, I, I don't think the player ratings tell the whole story. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I was surprised, and I don't have the numbers sitting in front of me, but there's like, what, 35 five-stars every year. And like 600 four stars or some like some astronomical difference between the two, which to me doesn't really make sense. And, and as you were kind of talking through this, I'm like, you know, why don't they go to a 10 star system? Right. Because if, if you're say, you know, the 50th overall prospect in the country and that makes you a four star and you're the 499th, you know, overall prospect, and you're still a four star, there's a big difference between those two. I mean, you could drive a truck through it. And I don't know if it's that yeah. big, but the numbers were way higher, way more than I actually thought. And so that's a know, good point. Not all four, I guess it's, a, you know, not all four stars are created equally. Right. And then I think three star even more. It's like, it's up to like 3,000 three stars. So it seems to me, you know, I mean, these guys have nothing else to do with their time. Why not go to a 10-star system? And, you know, if you're so damn smart, you can really, you know, evaluate players completely across the country. And maybe that's exactly why they don't do it, because it's an inexact science. But, I don't know, I thought, that, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought so, too. Well, and, hey, you know, LSU, you know, might have, if you look at what LSU has been as a program over the last 20 years, especially when they had a Michigan guy coaching them, right, Les Miles, the one missing ingredient, and I'm pointing back to, to the point you've just made about the importance of quarterback play, what a difference that can make. Look what happened when LSU finally got a, an elite quarterback, right? They, they win a national championship. Joe Burrow, I mean, he was enough to push them over the top. Although they were doing, they were winning quite a lot. LSU was even without elite play at, at quarterback. But you know, kind of to your point about the difference at the quarterback position, which is another failing of, of Michigan, and where many of these other programs, including Ohio State, have been able to identify that player, and it's really pushed them, you know, over the top. Um, Dace said something else that I thought was interesting. Now, this was in the sec. This is kind of in a follow-up podcast that he did to this one. It was a conversation he had with Ari Wasserman. Also very entertaining. I recommend if you haven't listened to it, check it out because it actually gets quite contentious toward the end. But uh, Day said, with respect to Michigan, he said that Michigan will tell you in their approach to recruiting that of the top 300 kids in a given year, roughly 100 of them won't meet the academic standards and, and would be academic non-qualifiers, would not be able to get in. 
Another 100 or so Michigan won't pursue because of perceived character, off-the-field issues, bag men, etc., leaving roughly 100 that Michigan would actually go after. So I thought that was very interesting, um, that if, if, they're, if they're slicing up, if they're limiting self, themselves to about one-third of the top 300 prospects in a given season, that could also obviously explain you know, this talent gap that we're seeing, that, that it's become much more pronounced now than ever before. Um, I was going to make one other point on that, and, and I wanted to go back to uh, what we've seen recently. Well, if that's, if Sorry, that's true, and maybe it is, and I'm not saying it is or isn't, I have no idea, but if that's true, then why, why pay your head coach $8 million a year? Right. I mean, you're paying your head coach that money because you want to win national championships. Well, if you're going to handcuff him with the players that he can go out and you could, you could pay him $18 million a year. It's not going to make a bit of difference. Right. So let him go to the pros and pay your coach 4 million bucks. And I think that's another thing, you know, like of Wasserman's point, you know, it's like, you're not paying your coach that kind of scratch to deliver the results that he's delivering. And if you're recruiting, you know, doesn't align with that, then what are you doing? Like, it's never going to make a difference. That's true. Well, and it's also kind of this contradiction with Michigan fans. It's just so annoying, right? Right. Because on the one hand, on the one hand, they're willing to pay Harbaugh, make him one of the highest paid coaches in, in, in the country. You know, they've got this 110,000 seat capacity stadium. Um, uh, but on the other hand, they, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, we're, we're not willing to, to recruit a, a certain kind of player, right? We're above that, um, you know, which, which would say, well, you know, we, we uh, uh, would seem to kind of like, uh, would, would suggest that maybe, you know, football isn't, isn't that big of a priority, right? We'd rather these kids be, you know, good students and good Michigan men. And, and um, I don't know, I, it, it's... <laughs> It's part of the, the annoying contradiction uh, with those fans that kind of just drives me nuts. You know, like Ohio State will have a great recruiting hall, and then the first thing a lot of Michigan fans will say, well, they're on the take. You know, how many bag men? Right. Ohio State's paying them. And, um, but I think they want to compete at an elite level. They really do. It's okay to admit it, all right? It's okay to admit that you want to be uh, – you, you want to win national championships. Um, I, I, you know, and, and again, kind of back to the talent gap – um, I think we've reached, because I do think it is a, a huge factor in this rivalry. I, I disagree with Dace on that point. But if you look at, you know, where Ohio State has drafted, I mean, we're talking about a much shorter period now since Harbaugh, because these are some of the other numbers that he gave us. Since Harbaugh's come to Ohio, to, to Michigan, Ohio State has drafted 45 players uh, to Michigan's 31, 17 in the first round. compared to Michigan's five, that's over a much shorter span than the 10-year war or the Cooper era. That's over five years. And I think when you're talking about a shorter span like that and you're looking at that big of a discrepancy, now we're starting to see when you factor in, you know, Ohio State's superior ability to develop talent and, you know, game day uh, coaching uh, moves and that sort of thing, now that explains why we're starting to see so many of these lopsided results in this rivalry. Right, forty-two, exactly. thirteen, and twenty. Yeah. Right, I mean, uh, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, just, just, you know, just a few days ago, right? Ohio State had 
now, now, of course, the annoying thing that's just happened, right, for a guy like Dace is he's looking at the overall draft numbers. Michigan with uh, Michigan and Ohio State both had 10 players drafted uh, in this year's draft. Only Ohio State had seven of their 10 taken in the first three rounds. Michigan had eight of their 10 taken uh, in the fourth round or later. Um, but, of course, you know, that's a number that you can, you can use depending on what kind of argument you're trying to make. Right, uh, <laughs> right. But, I, I mean, I, I think since Urban Meyer came to Ohio State, now you've got Ryan Day taking the reins. Ohio State is recruiting at a whole different level, and I think we've reached a tipping point. Whereas maybe, you, you know, Dace could make the argument, eh, the, the, the talent gap was statistically irrelevant or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't what it used to be. Now I think there's a tipping point where it really is making an impact. Um, in this yeah. rivalry. Well, I think that's what, that's what he was trying to get out with Washington. And, and he was saying, look, I'm looking at it from a 15 year perspective. You're just looking at the last, you know, two to three years. Um, you know, and I read another interesting uh, statistic that in the first round that speaks directly to why talent matters in the first round of the NFL draft, seven of those players played their high school football in the state of Texas. And then there was like one other school, one other state had like three, maybe one other state had like two, like Florida or something like that. And then everyone else, there was like eight states that had one player. Wow. But of those seven players, this is crazy. Of those seven Texas players played high school football in Texas, not one of them played at the university of Texas or Texas a and I saw that. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and That's, you know, it's nuts. So, you know, it's nuts. you got to have the best players, especially from your state. If they're not playing, you know, I mean, it, it matters. I mean, talent definitely matters. So, so that brings us to the fifth and final point that Dace was making, <clears throat> pardon me, in why talent gap doesn't matter in this rivalry. He says, if you look at the 2019 game, a game that Ohio State won by 29 points, projected, well, the, the number two overall pick, Chase Young, and the number three overall pick, Jeff Okuda, combined for just one tackle against Michigan. No sacks, no tackles for loss, no interceptions, so none of the big statistics that you would expect. And yet Ohio State won by 29 points. And I, I'll, I'll go that's first on this. That's a dumb argument. This is a dumb argument because, okay, that's true. I mean, first of all, you know, uh, well, with respect to Jeff Okuda, I, I guess I would my retort to that would be, well, you know, like, uh, how did Nico Collins do that day? Right. I think he had what, two yeah. catches. So, I mean, the corner is one of those corners, one of those positions where you don't have to put up any stats. Uh, he locked down Nico Collins that day and, you know, he was, you know, whatever. Okay. So you're right. Yeah. Chase Young and Jeff Okuda did not put up eye popping stats in that game yet. Ohio state wins by 29. However, Ohio state had three other top 100 players in that game that went berserk. Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, and Garrett Wilson. Fields threw for 300 yards, four touchdowns. Dobbins ran for 211 yards, four touchdowns. Garrett Wilson went for 118 yards receiving and a touchdown. So, you know, I mean, it's when you have a depth of elite talent. Yeah, okay, so maybe your top-end guys didn't have great days, but you had a bunch of other guys on the roster that went berserk. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That argument. I was just like, okay, I'm turning this podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, one so, other... so many, there, there's more than two guys on the field, right. On our defense, right. right? You know, just because a guy doesn't make play. And to your point, I don't think uh, tackles is 
you know, on the top list of what they expect a high state corners, you know, to be judged on, you know, it's like, right. <laughs> uh, how about just guarding your, you know, taking out their best wide receiver and, you know, yeah. that, that might be something that we, we find important. Well, I mean, let me, let me even add to Dace's, to Dace's argument here. Uh, okay. Chase Young did not have a great statistical game. Neither did Jeff Okudo that he did shut down Nico Collins, which he didn't mention, but you know, let me beef up your point here. Uh, Sean Wade didn't play that day. And, and yet Michigan lost by 29 points. So, you know, again, back to the, the, when you have the depth of ridiculous talent, Justin Fields, J.K. Dobbins, Garrett Wilson, all top 100 players that had huge days. Of course, talent, Matt, talent had a huge, was a huge variable that day. Um, be that as it may, I'm not going to disagree with Dace that you shouldn't be losing by 29 points if you're Michigan and that if you're a Michigan fan, you should expect them to be more competitive. They should be doing more with what they have. I don't disagree with that premise. I think they, they should be more competitive. And if you look at, look, Ohio state is not Michigan's only problem. Uh, Harbaugh has a 440 winning percentage against the top 25. He's two and 11 against the top 10. He's one in four in bowl games. I mean, he got his ass handed to him by Alabama in their bowl game without Tua. Um, so while Michigan's talent efficiency is more pronounced against Ohio State, it's proving to be a problem against other good teams too, right? So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty. Correct me big... if I'm wrong, but Shea Patterson didn't get drafted, did he? I don't believe so. <laughs> no, yeah, and you know some of their top guys, their top end guys, that vaunted offensive line, uh, Phil Steele, right? Didn't he call Michigan's offensive line in the preseason was going to be the best offensive line in the country? All those guys were late day three picks. So right. they could be doing more. In the end, I mean, if we're kind of wrapping up, putting a bow on this um, in terms of ta- uh, talent, you know, if you look at the 2019 playoff field, right, LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, the AP final top 25. So after all the bowl games are played, after the playoff, LSU, number one, Clemson, number two, Ohio State, number three, Georgia, number four, Oregon, fifth, Florida, sixth, Oklahoma, Seventh, look at the top, the 2020 top recruiting classes, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, Ohio State. Then we look at the most players drafted by school through the first three rounds, LSU, Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, Florida, Oklahoma. Do you see a theme there? Are there <laughs> we, we see the same <laughs> names, the same schools popping up in all of those categories over and over and over again, right? It starts with recruiting. Yeah. And it ends with where these kids are drafted and in between where they end up and, you know, making making the playoff field, where they end up in the AP final top 25 rankings. It's the same schools. And it's a, you can you can tie a direct line correlation to to recruiting and talent. However, coaching is very important, too. Right. And and you you can't just I think being a, a, a great great at recruiting and bringing in talent isn't just drawing from the pool of kids that everybody agrees are good. You also have to be able to identify those diamonds in the rough. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, these recruiting services are for fans, right? These rankings are for fans. I mean, like, if you're basing your recruiting approach on what 24-7 says as a program, you're screwed, right? You, this is why Ohio State <laughs> has this massive staff of, of uh, you know, coaches that go out and find these kids, so you got to be able to do that too. And then of course you got to be able to develop them 
And then on game day, you got to be able to deploy them, call the right plays, all that stuff. So in the end, I don't know how you feel about this. They're both very important, but I clearly give the edge to talent. What do you think, Paige? Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I think we both fall on the same side of the ledger on that one. <laughs> Definitely beat that to a, a pulp. The other interesting thing, though, is was didn't didn't Day go to California to recruit somebody else, and he saw Olave? Yeah. And then you know, you know it. So so you know you wonder about that guy's eye for talent. Right. And right. then you have a guy like Alave that just comes out of nowhere and murders Michigan two years ago. <laughs> like, well, how the fuck are we going to compete? Right. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, this guy, you know, like it'd be okay if the five star guy torched this, but now we got to deal with this guy who looks like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, it's like, and when do you throw in the towel? Which was interesting. That guy, you know, he's, he's he basically has, he's like, look, I'm, I'm, I can't do it anymore. I mean, and it, it, it see, apparently the gap's only going to get wider here, and it'd be interesting. Do they even, you know, they almost just ignore Ohio State at this point because they know they just can't compete. Well, right. I mean, I think he said mm-hmm. that, yeah, I, I think he said, like, uh, what did Day say? Something to the effect of, like, you know, I'll, I'll get excited about the first 11 games on the schedule, but, you know, you know, accept the I know we're going to get wiped out. Yeah, <laughs> we've we've talked about this in 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 you know in previous pods. I, I and you know we we talked about whether this is even a rivalry anymore. Which if I think you know where I stand on that, I I'm concerned about the the health of the Ohio State Michigan rivalry uh, long term because things are trending in the wrong direction. Uh, if you look at the margins of defeat, not only just the last two years, but if you go back even over the last ten years. You know, Harbaugh's first year, it was a 42-13 to 13 game. That game was played in Ann Arbor. And then there were several just laughers during the Trestle era where Ohio State just, you know, just blew them out. I, I went to the game in 2010, the game that was vacated uh, because of Tatgate. But I was at that game, and that was a laugher. The like Ohio State won by, you know, 38 points or something. It was... Uh, so, all right. Well, hey, I think we've uh, we've beaten the uh, the talent versus uh, coaching argument to death. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll do this again soon. All right, buddy. All right, man. Good okay, talking man. with you. Likewise. Talk to you soon. Okay, Go, bye. Box. Bye.